Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Guys, today you have a very special treat. Uh, uh, someone who has become an increasing friend of ours, not just the organization Awaken, which is working to do incredible things in northern Nevada to end uh, sex trafficking specifically, uh, but Chantel Brewer, the other week, I have to call it out because it's, apparently it's recorded and, it's, and for eternity on podcast, I referred to her as, as Chantel Baker, and I told her, I said, it was prophetic. It was just because of the connection that maybe you have with Heidi Baker, and, uh, and, uh, and that was... That was just my quick thinking to back out of butchering somebody's name, and it's fantastic. But we have Chantel with us today, who's going to bring an amazing word. We love them so much. And guys, listen, we're not a quiet church, so don't y'all dare go quiet on her today, y'all. Y'all better be leaning in, amen, that'll preach, standing up, pointing is wildly acceptable here at Convo Church. And so can you put your hands together and welcome Chantel as she comes? Go for it. Good morning. Uh, so I tend to be a leaner inner, and I also tend to be a talker like this. So I'm Italian and um, and Middle Eastern, and so everything is just handsy and uh, intense. So one second. So I actually met uh, your pastor here at a meeting and he goes, I don't even know why I'm here, uh, but I run Convo Church. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And after um, I came up to him, I'm having te technical difficulties. This, it'll be fine. It's totally fine. Oh, thanks, babe. I, just one second ago, I spilled coffee in my daughter's shoes, so it's going to be a day. <laughs> sorry. Again, sorry, babe. So I walked up to him after, and I was like, um, hey, you don't know why you're here? I don't really know why I'm here, but you love Jesus? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, I love Jesus. And it was great. And then uh, I followed up with him. I emailed, and I didn't know what to say to introduce myself again, and so my tagline was dude. <laughs> and he goes, I'll open any email that starts with dude. I was like, oh, cool. You know, sometimes you see stuff from people you don't know, and you're like, oh, that's, I don't know what that is, so I'm not going to answer. But uh, so if you want to get a hold of him for real, say dude in your subject line. <laughs> so I do. I work for Awaken. My actual job title is uh, public prevention coordinator, which means that I go around and I spread as much awareness as possible. I specifically work with kids and any way that we can prevent child sex trafficking. Um, that's my heart. That's where I want to be. So in churches, youth groups, in schools, everywhere. I've been an educator for a really long time, and I had just, I've al I'd already been doing work similar to this. I just didn't know it. You know, God's funny that way. And so that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is in your own capacity, your already existent capacity, what are you doing uh, to bring Jesus where you're at and recently it occurred to me that not only am I talking to kids who may one day get trafficked, I'm actually talking to future traffickers. And I'm possibly talking to future sex buyers. And you guys thought it was awkward that he was talking about tithing, but it's about to get real, real in here. And I'm fine with that. You guys ever watch Seinfeld? He's like, so my whole life I've been called the Kramer of the group. <laughs> I say like the really hard things, but people are like, make Chantel say it, she'll say it. Because I say it nicely. I say it with Jesus, and it's fine. But, you know, it occurred to me my whole life I've really ever, I've, just, I've known God my whole life, and I've always felt like 
I've had some kind of calling on me. And that's because the people around me, the people in my church, my youth group, my parents, you know, everybody around me agreed with that. And I just believed them from a really early age. And I've known I've wanted to be a world changer, however small or large that is. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor, I'm an author, I'm a Nationals fan. And not just because they won on my birthday, but because they beat the Dodgers that round. So, go Nationals. Is that up there? Oh, yeah. Do you guys have my PowerPoint? It says, uh, go Nationals in really tiny writing on one of the slides. So, But it's in all of those capacities that I actually am going to talk to you guys today. Because whatever our experiences are from the very beginning... They decide how we love people. I mean, it affects how we love people. The experiences that we've had, the good ones, the bad ones, the people that were around, the church that we attend, the bad church experiences that we might have, the awkward relationships, all of that stuff, the hurt we've been through, the people that spoke light and life into us, the people that kept pushing us back to Jesus, all of that actually has the potential to decide how we love the people that are around us. And what's important is that we remember that we get to choose how those things affect us and how we use it. And so if we look at people that have been trafficked or might be at risk for being trafficked who have abuse in their background, and as an outsider, as someone who's not experienced those specific hurts, it might be, it's really easy for us to decide what they should be doing from a distance. But when we get up close and, and we allow God to put us within his reach, that phrase, within reach, that's, our, that's what we get to do. God's already here. He's always here. Whether we want it or not, he's here. We're made in his image. We are his, we are his kids forever. And he is always here. But we get to decide to be here too. And so what are we doing with that? What are we doing with that space? And I think what happens is that we forget that when we wear Christ's redemption, you know, we're forgiven because of what he did for us on the cross. And we forget that we're totally clean. Everything that we've done, he knows what's coming. He knows what's behind us. And he chose us anyway all that time ago. He chooses us daily. He chooses us minute by minute. He chooses us. But we forget, I think, that we get to wear that. We forget that his forgiveness is, is we wear it so much that it almost takes our breath away. We get to a place where we are so... Um, I mean, we just, like, we can't understand it. And so it's hard for us to receive. And so that's sometimes what we pay to other people. And that's what we need to be careful about. We are like, well, I know I don't deserve it, so probably you don't deserve it. But that's not how we're supposed to love. And we're supposed to be close, and we're supposed to be within reach. And we're supposed to be focused on the things that God wants us to see. And so I wonder if that's why, because of all of those past hurts and those struggles, I wonder if that's why we forget to pay grace forward to other people, especially the toughest ones. Do you guys have people in your life that like light you up? Mine are people who are really terrible drivers and have no business driving. They always want to drive right by me. And um, I'm not like, I'm not an aggressive driver. Uh, my kids are right here. So you might hear some heckling, but none of what they have to say is true. So 
I don't swear or anything. I'm saving that for when I'm like really old and people think I can't control it. <laughs> it's gonna be my old lady thing. Yeah, because when I was like nine, I asked my oldest brother, why don't you swear? And he probably did, he just didn't in front of me. And he said, because if I'm gonna, he goes, the Bible says a sin is a sin, so I'm saving it up. <laughs> I was like, that's so brilliant. I mean, I just had like this whole epiphany. So swearing's not gonna be the sin. That's, I'm not wasting it. So I'm saving it for when I'm really old. So <laughs> that's a true story. So when, when we are in the car, I don't swear at people, but I make up really weird, like mean names for them based on their bumper stickers. And so I'm like, all right, fish and chips, where'd you learn to use your blinker right now? And you're like, just ridiculousness. And I just, you know, I holler at people. But we each have a people group. We each have someone that's probably popping in your mind right now that you know is hard for you to love. It's hard for you to keep sticking. Maybe we love them for a few minutes or we love them. We've got this timetable of, of giving of ourselves. But when they continuously choose that hard thing or that wrong thing or that sin or that struggle, sometimes the church tends to disappear. And that's my challenge to you. That's my, that is my, the question I'm saying that we should be asking. Who have you put in front of me? Lord, who have you put in front of me that I need to love better? And for us, I mean, as we've stepped into being in this organization that cares so much about these women and children who are being trafficked, who come from lives of abuse, who come from struggle, and who have the hardest time believing that we really do just want to love you. We want to love you. Let us love you. And they, because they're so hurt, they don't know how. I mean, as, sometimes as, as Christians, we're like, well, I tried. You know, I, I, we want to give them a 10-step plan when someone's hurting. And we're like, okay, I hear what you're going through, and I'm so sorry you're going through that. I have this 10-step plan. And then secretly we say, and if you don't follow all of this to a T, we are so over, right? And we get, we get so frustrated, and we don't understand, and so we base what we're doing off of their reactions. But that's not Holy Spirit. Our job is to do what we are called to do based on this book here, and then let the Holy Spirit figure out the rest of it. There's no line that we get to that says, okay, I've done enough. I've loved enough. I'm so tired. We're going to read real quickly through um, Ruth 2, just the bottom half of it. I think it's up on, it'll be up on the screen, the scriptures. So Ruth and Naomi, Naomi's the mother-in-law, Ruth is the daughter. Um, Ruth, Naomi's husband dies, and then both of her sons die and leave her as a widow and her two daughters, her two daughter-in-laws as widows as well. And they're living in a land where God, for the whole rest of this book, has said, don't go there, never, never go there. They're living in Moab. Never interact with the Moabites. I mean, like, there's so many warnings about don't follow their gods, don't interact with them, don't intermarry. And for whatever reason, this family uh, chose to not pay attention to those rules, and that's okay. You know, we're going to pick up in the story uh, right when Naomi has decided to go back to her hometown because she has nothing in that land and no one to care for her. And when you're a woman in that, in that culture, in that space and time, you really had to have a representative as a man, and a protector, a kinsman, redeemer. You had to have somebody, uh, male, to represent you, anyone down the line. And since that was a foreign place for her, none of her family was there. So she decided to come back to um, 
her hometown and say, uh, and told her daughter-in-laws to go back home. You know, they're like, she said, you guys are still young. You could probably remarry, go to your family. And Ruth insisted upon like begging her in the street, please do not send me away. All the way to the point, Ruth was so in that she said, your God will be my God. I want, I'm all in, I want everything. And I love that. I love that she loved, that she was loving her mother-in-law so well. So it says in two, now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. I'm going to tell you really quickly, Boaz is my Bible boo. (laughs) I'm telling you, he just, this is like the best historical, true life romance you will ever read, okay? If I had a t-shirt, I should get a t-shirt that says that. He was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, who is now dead. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, a relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Do you guys think that's like a, a so happened to... Yeah, no, right? We don't believe in coincidences. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. That's how I want dudes to address me, just so you know. (laughs) My husband's like, "Uh, my love language is acts of service, so I want you to greet me with the dishes done. And I'm like, we'll see. We'll try it out. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is a young woman from Moab who came back with with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know everything about I also know about everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. So she's hurting. She's done all these things in spite of her. She's lost a husband, too. How you've left your father and mother in your own land to live here with, among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called, her, called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters, with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. There's so much example in Boaz and how we are to treat people that the world has deemed foreign, unfit, too tough, you know, maybe taking too long, people that we don't understand, people who are different, people whose hurts we cannot relate to, so it's too awkward, so we're not going to jump in. Sometimes it's as simple as that. That's all it takes for the enemy to get us off track. I think that's crazy. It makes me mad about myself that 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 happens to me because how wimpy. And then also there's other times that he could have worried. I mean, he should have been compared to or thinking about how sternly people could have judged him for having a Moabite woman working in his field. 
even if she's a relative. I mean, she's, there's so much about her that he could have looked at and said, she's going to tarnish my reputation. And he's, he's a businessman. You know, I mean, she could have really affected things. But he, he didn't pay attention to any of that. What he did is he looked at her the way that God looks at her. He didn't, he didn't look at her like sometimes we look at people who are sinning or we deem not fit, a struggle, and we think, what if that rubs off on us? What if their reputation contaminates our reputation? And it's unfortunate that, we, that that's our focus because that's not what God's called us to. He's called us to be Boaz. He's called us to pull in close and get in within reach and to stand. He, he didn't just say to her, here's some shekels. You know, go, God bless you. You know, he didn't drop some pennies in her cup and keep going. He sat with her and he ate. He did so many things. Have you guys ever sat with someone who's grieving? Like really sat? When you know there's nothing that you can say, there are no words. Someone who's lost a loved one. Someone who's lost a baby. Gosh, that's heavy. That hurts. But you know what feels really good? Is when someone just sits with you. You know, and they say to you, what do you need right now? How can I love you? And sometimes they just need you to sit. And they need you to sit even when it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. And you just sit there and you keep praying silently or maybe with them. They need you to dig in and they need you to love. Someone whose husband maybe drinks too much, that's hard. You know, you're, because our human nature wants to say something like, why don't you just leave? But that's not biblical. And so you have to learn how to stand with them as they navigate an alcoholic husband. Or someone who didn't take your advice when, and choose adoption over abortion. And then you're mad because how could they? How dare they? But they're not looking through eyes like you're looking through. They don't know yet maybe what you know. Or maybe they do. But we have a free will and each of us is allowed to exist inside of that free will and it should never negate us from love from another Christian. It should never negate us from God's love. It's very difficult to stand by somebody and watch them make choices that you know hurt them, but we're still called to be in that space. We don't always say it, but we secretly wish that people would just take our advice, right? I mean, like in my mind, I'm like, if you just do what I said, this would stop happening, right? But then, um, you know, they could throw that back at me every single time I'm going through something and I don't take their advice or, um, or you know, even realizing that when people come to us and they say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And they, they confide in you, maybe they're not actually asking for advice. They don't want our 10-step plan. They don't want necessarily for us to say, well, you should have. Well, we have this whole book of greatness to say, here's what God says, no matter what you choose right now, this is how you're loved, this is how you're seen. That's our message. It can really be that basic, and it's not our message, it's God's message. You know, it's our gospel that we, we walk around with. You know, Ruth, when Boaz looked at her, she had no man, she could have been seen as damaged, but he also sees that she's not too proud to jump in behind a bunch of field workers and really work. She'd been working. He said, the, the foreman said that she hardly took a break. Ruth, in my opinion, really knows how to love well. She's not just doing this for herself. She's doing this for her mother-in-law, too. Her mother-in-law's 
definitely going to be older. She's got grown, she had grown sons. She had grown, grown children. He didn't just offer her, like I said, he didn't just offer her money from far away. He didn't just donate to a cause and say, you know, I'll give this to all the Moabites who are displaced. You know, it wasn't some charity thing he, he went to one day. It was, he provided her food. He provided her a place to work. He provided her a, a sense of protection. Like it was a scene out of The Godfather, right? He was just like, I got you. I got you. He didn't take inventory of all the things that he could have been accused of. What he did was he took inventory of who he had been raised to be in his entire life as God had been placing him. You'll see in just a second, God had been placing him over and over and over to be ready for this minute right here, to run this field, to run, to have all of these people. I mean, that their first greeting to each other is the Lord be with you, that that's the culture that he has set up. That's the climate that he set up in the place where he lives and where he works. That's what he was breeding within the people that, that he lives and, and, and works and loves with. My pastor recently said that sometimes God wants us to be in the messes of life. And I think actually, I mean, it's not always hard and it's not always hurting. There's a lot of really positive things that we get when we hang out with people that are challenging to us. They're challenging to us because we probably need some work in our lives, right? I think the reason that Boaz was doing so well is that he placed himself in proximity to Ruth. That he didn't love her far away. He loved her within arm's reach. Armed within reach. You know, God's reach and her reach. The testimony of these women that I am so proud to know now, these women who have been trafficked, who are still in the life sometimes, who are even just at risk and have really hard paths, their stories, them standing up and saying, Okay, I'm ready to share my story. I'm ready to use my story that the enemy meant for evil. I'm ready to use it for something good. That has been changing and shaping me on how I love. I used to think I loved enough. I don't know what that means. That's like a fake statement. There's no love enough, right? But every time I'm willing enough to allow God to place me within reach of, of a, a difficult relationship with one of these women. And I say difficult, not because it's difficult between the two of us, because she has a lot of hurts and I don't know how to fix that. And that's what I, in my nature, that's what I want to do. But that's not even what she's asking me for. She's asking me to just be close. She's not asking me to give money to a cause or attend an annual banquet, which we love it when you guys do that, by the way. Ours is sold out. Yeah. So next year. I'll see you next year. But real change comes when we know each other's stories, when we are willing to be up close, when we're willing to really share the guts of, of what we've been through. Then we, have, we suddenly have so much more grace for people, right? It's no longer giving that advice from a distance. It's, man, I know you, and I know your heart, and now you know me, and you know my heart. And so where are we going from here? Watch what God can do. But there's a shift that happens when we go from seeing these kids, these women as prostitutes. And we see them instead as God's daughter. We see them instead as beautifully made in God's own image. There's a bigger shift, I think, that comes when we begin to see them as mighty warriors of God. Charles Spurgeon once said, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. 
right? I say, I mean, I just, for years and years and years, God's put this thing in my mind that's, that if, if our lives weren't going to be making a difference for the kingdom, you know, the enemy wouldn't even mess with us. He just wouldn't even care. But now when we look at these women that have been from the beginning facing these struggles that are so insurmountable alone, it really creates a cultural shift. It actually, what it does is it causes us to want to fight for them when we, until they're able to stand up and fight on their own. They're in the fight of their lives. These homeless people that we can't reach. These kids, the youth that we think are weird because we don't understand them. That's not their problem. That's our problem. Right? The devil wouldn't care if they weren't up to, if, if they weren't going to be anything for the kingdom, he wouldn't even care. So watch the ones that are, where you look at their stories and you're like, what? That's so nuts. Those are the ones, those are the hard ones that we need to be willing to be close enough to talk to. We need to be the ones making the preemptive strike, not the enemy. We need to get in early when they're so little and speak that over them. Speak that continually. And it's easier for us to really see how the enemy works when we look at the just maybes. So there's a, if you could go forward to, there's a picture of a girl on that uh, PowerPoint. She's just a regular girl, this girl. And I don't know her. I just, I found a, but she's so typical high school, right? Maybe middle school. But this girl represents in this story, someone who is at risk for being trafficked. And when we look at the whole just maybes of her story, we begin to see that we are positioned just like Boaz was positioned to make a difference in someone's life. Just maybe this teenage girl was meant to be a world changer. We believe that, right? We know, we know, we know she's made in God's image, right? Just maybe she's supposed to have a story like Hannah. She's going to give birth to this generation, Samuel. A truth speaker, right? Boy, could we use a truth speaker about now, right? Maybe she's supposed to be an Esther, and she's supposed to be someone who speaks up to hold someone rotten accountable, someone very rotten. Or a David. She's supposed to lead worship that brings a nation to its knees. And the devil's so angry about all the things that she's been called to that he makes this preemptive strike when she's so young by maybe exposing her to sexual abuse. Maybe he exposes her to pornography. Maybe he exposes her to addiction, to exploitation through apps. All of that. Those are all the indicators of someone at risk for being trafficked. And then she's faced with parents who don't listen or adults in her life that don't listen. There's a story, I mean, a study out of Australia that says one in three adults would not listen if a kid came to them and said they were being sexually abused. One in three that's nuts to me. Unacceptable. Because what's the worst case scenario? You, you believe a kid who's absolute outright lying to you about being abused. That kid gets to watch you fight for them. That's okay, right? You know, that kid gets to see, you know what? Someone actually is listening to me. Someone's actually paying attention to me. Or you uncover what that kid was really trying to tell you by making up this other thing. And this was easier to say than this thing, so... This is what they said to you. That's how it works. 
And why? Why don't the adults listen? And I believe it's because the enemy's gotten to them too. Maybe from past hurts, maybe speaking lies into them, whispering things like, what would people think if they knew my boyfriend or husband or son, etc., had abused my girl? Or how could I let this happen? Oh, that's one. I hear that. How could I let this happen? And so they do nothing. It's easier to do nothing. It's easier to turn an eye and pretend it's not happening. And she carries the weight. The abused carries a weight that's so heavy because she's plagued by Satan's endless whispers, right, of you must have led him on. You must have wanted this. You're not worthy. I've been telling you that for a long time. Your whole life I've been sending people to say that to you. You're not worth it. And so she just believes that because that's what's been the loudest voice in her life. But that doesn't have to be the truth anymore because we know, right? And, and if we're going to talk about all the just maybes, we have to talk about all the players in this situation, including the traffickers. Because as it turns out, the traffickers are made in God's, God's image as well. I can't let that go. But that's not who God intended him. There's no way because trafficker is not the definition of, definition of my God. It never could be. And so we know that the enemy got a hold of that trafficker as well. Maybe just to get to this girl, but also it's a win-win for him because he's taken down this other person too. Beaten down and believing that God can't possibly be real. And if he is, he doesn't love me. So we're in a position to say something different, but typically what happens, or too often what happens, is that they come into a church setting or they come in contact with someone who's a Christian, and they're, all, they're, all that happens is that it's reaffirmed that they are other, they are, they are different. And I'm sorry that you're going through that, but I have to stand over here because what if? I can't get that close. And that's not okay. We have this opportunity to totally, completely rearrange how these people are seeing each other, seeing themselves. And if we're talking about traffickers and we're talking about those who are being trafficked, we have to talk about the sex buyers who are also made in God's image, who are also, I mean, do you think anyone has got a full, healthy soul if they're out buying women, kids? 100% no, right? Or as my son would say, 1,000% no, which mathematically makes no sense to me. <laughs> It has to be, it has to come from us to say, you are worth standing next to. You are so loved. You are worth it. No matter how many times we have to say it, no matter how many times they don't believe us or we watch them have to choose something different. And here's what I'm proposing. I propose that if one person in this room chose to stand in his or her own circle, wherever you're already existing, and you knew someone who watch pornography, and you, you were able to stand with them when they confessed that to you, and you'd say, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to do this, and I'm going to hold you accountable. Because we know that pornography is a huge indicator of someone who buys sex, someone who's an abuser. And we stood next to them, the people that traffic girls, when they are willing to confess that to us, and we say, you can sit here. We love you, and we're going to walk with you through this. That's, there's a school in, in Washington State called a John School for anyone who purchases sex. It's an actual class. A guy, it's this guy was just done. He was just super done. And so he made it up. It's a real thing. Maybe someone here is supposed to start that here. I'd love that. I'm also proposing that 
Maybe one of you in here simply took us to stop for a minute and took a look at a youth or a young adult. You got super wild and you went up to them and you said, hey, would you like to have a mentor? Which is really intimidating because we want to be cool, right? But also, young adults want discipleship. They love community. And we said, how about I teach you to whatever you need? cook? How about we just get together for coffee? How about we read through this book together? And you made it a weekly thing and you were willing to put yourself out there to meet with that person regularly. Or what if one family put their foot down for, toward all the outward living that they're doing and said, you know what? Trafficking can stop right here. And when I take a minute and I decide out there, I don't need to be part of one more activity. I don't need to be part of one more thing. What I need to do is I need to sit with my family and have dinner and have conversation and realize family dynamic comes from God. That, that power of family dynamic, that conversation that you have, fathers with your children, mothers with your children, watching husbands and wife, when the kids get to watch their husband and wife love, argue, agree, forgive, pray, all those things, that ends trafficking. That's it. God, that's such an organic, natural thing. God's already set it up. Or if one teacher in this room said, I'm in. I know enough now to, to stop believing that this is fake. We know that this exists. And that if you are willing to say to them, I'm going to meet you here emotionally instead of I need you to be here academically because guess what? They cannot focus on your spelling test after the weekend they've just had with their trafficker. It just can't be that way anymore. We need to have God's expectation, not our expectation. Or if one couple in here decided that putting out foster care for one more year was just too long because we now know that 60% of the kids who are being trafficked come from foster care situations. 60%? And that's because the foster care parents are not handling it well. They just aren't. So you could be that family that makes a difference. Or if one youth, one, I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are, one young adult, one 20-something, any of you went up to somebody, another kid at your school, another kid at your work, and said, hey, I see you. Your face says that you're okay, but I have a feeling there's more to that story. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you the best way that I know how, but if you have something specific, I'd love to know it. I'd love to know how to pray for you better. If we could be bold enough to say things like that, I believe that every one of those tiny steps would be the difference in what trafficking looks like in our city. Melissa Holland always talks about having a safe city. She wants a safe city. That's what God's placed in her heart. And if each of us are committed to whatever circle that we are standing in, to, to doing that one, that next right step, Whatever makes sense in our own circles. I believe that all of those tiny ripple effects could create a tsunami. And not a tsunami that brings devastation, but one that pushes all of us, all of us back to Jesus in, in redemption. That's what we need. That's, that's why we have church. That's why we are even in this city, right? Living where we're supposed to be, standing in the spaces where we are, no matter where you work, no matter what you do, no matter what your calling is, no matter what your gifts are, you are being Jesus right where, right where you're planted. And I know that none of us really wants to. I'm going to close with this. I know that none of us actually wants to be the one to go through these hard things because it's uncomfortable. 
This kind of love costs us. We have to get past the point where that matters. This kind of love costs us. None of us want to be the one that stands in that place. But do you guys know what? Jesus didn't want to be the one either. You know what he said in that garden? He was so invested in praying with God right before he was, he was arrested. That he was, I mean, I imagine him, he's just on his knees and he's hunched over. And the Bible said that, that he wept so hard. He sweat blood. And I looked it up and it actually means blood. It's not a metaphor. I mean, he just, he's so all in and committed to, Lord, whatever, if you could take this cup from me, that's what he says. Lord, if you could take this cup from me, please do. But the difference is that he follows it up and he says, but I don't want my will to be done. I want your will to be done. So it's okay that we don't. We don't want to step in this space, that we don't want to have this role, because neither did Jesus. What, but what we need to do is we need to follow it up and believe that we want God's will more than we want our will. So I'm asking you just to open your eyes. This week as you're going forward, as you guys are praying and you're fasting, pray for God to open your eyes to see who could you be loving better. My last thought is we've talked about what a stand-up guy Boaz is. My Bible, boo. We've looked at scripture that shows how he was so willing to be all in, right? But do you think he just showed up like that? He just was like, I own a field now, and I've got workers now, so I'm a great guy. Do you guys know who his mom was? Rahab? I mean, I, just, I love that. He didn't just show up like this. God was positioning him his entire life. I firmly believe that our kids learn most from us if we are invested parents. And I firmly believe that Boaz's dad, Solomon, I believe that he saw Rahab and was called to something. Do you know who he was? He was one of the guys that Joshua sent in. He was one of the guys that went and spied early on. And he saw Rahab and he said, right? He's like, I don't care about any of that other stuff, right? She was his Bible boo. And I just think, man, they're this, I mean, she, in the Bible, she was just this prostitute for like one line. And then she was this amazing woman, right? Because all because of how God saw her. And she chose to stand in that. And so that's what I'm asking. You've been handed a cup. You've been handed something. And so what are you going to do with it? That's my question is how are you going to love with what you've been given, with the people that God puts around you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the space and time like this in, in service, in church, with your Holy Spirit so present that we get to come and learn about you and feel you and know you in a way that uh, hopefully we didn't know before we walked in here. I pray that every single person in this room is changed by the worship, by the word, by relationship that's here. God, I pray for our city and every single place that you've placed each of us no matter what our role is in, this, in these cities, these surrounding areas, wherever we go, wherever we travel, Lord, open our eyes to see 
just as clearly as Boaz saw Ruth from across the field and, and, and that we're asking the question, who is that? Lord, what do you have for me with this person? You've caused me to see these people. You've caused me to see this person. What's my role here? How can I show them you? What can I bring? Let that just be our new normal. And Father, where we are able to give and sacrifice a little bit more, I pray that you would just speak so clearly to our hearts. We're called to give in so many different ways, Lord, and don't let any of it be just something we fall back on. Let our hearts be totally in it. Like, like when Jesus was praying to you, God, when, when he was so down on his knees and just, just tore up because of what you were asking of him, break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord, and then help us to say yes. In your precious name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.